Moncrief on News Talk. Now, at the end of last week, Xi Jinping won a third term as president of China. Didn't come as any great surprise. It already abolished rules limiting Chinese presidents to two terms. But it does greatly solidify his power and will have a profound effect on China's future development and its relationship with the rest of the world. Kiri Paramore is Professor of Asian Studies at UCC. Kiri, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sean. Good Uh, to speak with you. uh, If it's not a stupid question, what was the logic about getting rid of the two-term limit? That's a good question. I'm afraid I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> um, the, uh, I guess the question is, why would people want to keep Xi Jinping in power? Why would he want to stay in power himself? Um, and that goes to the roots of, you know, what makes him different and his different approach to ruling China. Um, you know, China's been through an amazing economic boom, as we all know. And it's a rapid development economy. And with, as we know from, you know, living in Ireland, a rapid development economy brings with it all kinds of problems, you know, problems of corruption, problems of a huge gap opening up between rich and poor. And those are problems that have opened up in China in the last 30 years. And Xi Jinping sort of promised or his, you know, what he sets here, the stall he sets out is is he's going to try and fix those problems. Mm. Um, and that's been the, the sort of rationale of, of his rule. And it's also part of that sort of strong man image that you see that so many people feel very uncomfortable with. Yeah. In, in as far as it's possible to tell such things in China, is he popular? That is difficult to tell, isn't it? Because <laughs> um, during, you know, during some of the very last protests against um, the, the 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 zero COVID policy, the protest that actually you know preceded the end to zero COVID in China, there were people holding up you know anti Xi Jinping um, slogans and so forth, um, but most of the time, of course, you wouldn't see that. Um, there are people who support Xi Jinping as well, definitely. Um, I mean, I think where it comes to is is a lot of making sense of China. A lot of it comes down to the fact that. There are large sections of China on the coast, places that, that we deal with here in Ireland, like Shanghai and Beijing, and especially in the South Guangzhou, which are really, really massive, wealthy cities with lots mm. of quite wealthy people who travel overseas and, and whose jobs and lives centre around the world economy. And then there's this whole other more than half of China inland, where which is still very much a developing country, you know, where people, people are quite poor, uh, people are struggling, their lives are getting better but quite slowly. And so they're two very different electorates, if you like. You know, those people who Mm. live in Shanghai, well, they don't like zero COVID. They don't like not being able to go shopping in Paris. (laughs) And they're they're also politically, they'd be more inclined towards liberalism, towards opening up and so forth. Whereas you've got the other, you know, half of China or more than half of China who, you know, might be working in factories in the the inner part or or, or still in... um, in sort of peasant agriculture. And those people have very different interests. So sort of opening up and internationalisation, that, that might not be the, the top thing on the agenda for those people. The, their top thing on the agenda might be, you know, 10 years ago it might have been electricity. Now now they're very likely to have electricity, but things like that, basic services. So th- there's sort of two Chinas, if you like, at least two Chinas, if not more, many hundreds of Chinas, but at least two big Chinas who have different interests. And yeah. the, the difficulty for the government is... Um, mediating between those two two different electorates, if you like. Uh, and has he given any indication about how we might square that circle, how he might uh, reduce the gap between rich and poor without reversing 
the you know the 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 more liberal economic decisions that China took you know thirty years ago. Yeah, I mean, they they have what, what what's been the policy over the last ten years since Xi Jinping came to power is there's still a sort of commitment to a liberal economy to some extent, but there's also a sort of push back into the big state companies and trying to. Um, reinvigorate those big state companies and also control some of the bigger private companies more. Um, and the, the rationale behind that is, well, that way we make sure the corporate sector is doing things for the country. The country needs to control the corporate sector to do things like, you know, have a, have a bigger domestic base, a bigger domestic demand base in the economy so that we're not as reliant on, um, on export and therefore on, on the whims of other countries. Um, but, but what some economists say is, well, if you do that, then sort of what has been the key to Chinese growth, which has been this liberalisation, you're going to take away that key and maybe the growth will begin to stall. Mm. And so this is this is the question, you know, so, for, well, growth, of course, has stalled because of COVID. The question is whether, uh, as we come out of COVID, um, what kind of growth uh, will be restored? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and will China be able to sustain growth given the various problems that they have? You know? uh, I would have thought uh, China is massively dependent on exports. It, it, it is still... Exports are still very, very important for the Chinese economy, but it's less dependent than it was. Uh-huh. And that's been part of the Xi Jinping policy. So in that sense, you know, you could say to an extent that policy has been successful. There is more domestic demand. Uh, more of the, the profitability of the Chinese company does come from, from selling in to China itself rather than selling uh, to the export market. The question is over the medium to long term, can economic growth be sustained in that way? Yeah. How interested is he in the in the world outside China? Is he particularly interested in 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 pushing Chinese influence in parts of the world? Yeah, that's a that's a difficult thing. I mean, the Chinese, you know, obviously China is a very big, strong country and has a strong economy, but different to, for instance, Russia, um, China doesn't have enough primary resources to sustain its own manufacturing economy, for instance. Mm-hmm. So they import very large amounts of, you know, fossil fuels like coal from places like Australia. Um, they have to import a lot of the minerals that they use. Um, so, so, and, and if you if you look, I mean, your your listeners, if they're interested, and they can they can get on online and they can see the world um, sort of freight uh, shipping market. They can find a map, of, a moving map on that online. And what you see is just massive numbers of ships crossing the Pacific or coming from Australia and India um, and from Africa up into China, delivering those natural resources. So the trouble for China is on the one hand, they want everything to be domestically based and Xi Jinping would be happy, you know, it's good economics as much as possible to to get the domestic economy going. But the, the, the some of the basic primary materials you need for an industrial economy they just don't have, and you're always going to have to import those. And until now, you have to import those by sea, by sea, and that means through sea lanes that, in reality, the United States can control, from mm-hmm. countries like the Middle East that, in reality, the United States has a massive military um, presence in. And so that's the sort of global reality that that um, that any Chinese government is faced with. Uh, and there are two ways to deal with that. One is just sort of become really friendly with America and get along with America. Um, which they try to do sometimes. <laughs> and the other way is to be more assertive and try and make friends in Africa, for instance, which they've always done as well. And recently you see China's making, doing a lot to become friends with um, the Gulf states. They're sort of playing this mediating role between Iran and the Gulf states because, again, 
that's an, that's another small way that they can hope to somehow make that resource provision a little bit more secure for themselves. Do they need to be friends with Russia? They don't need. No, I would say nobody needs to be friends with Russia, but um, there, there could be. I mean, how friendly are you? I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of people talk about the relationship between China and Russia, but um, and it's they have cordial relations, but it's not as if there's any um, either military or economic um, reliance. Certainly not on the part of China on mm. Russia. So I mean, if it's in your interest to have cordial, friendly relations, why not? Yeah, uh, indeed. But, well, I suppose the yeah, big question, yeah. and, and, and nobody knows the answer to this, but, you know, is China friendly, and that's an inverted commas, friendly enough with Russia to give them arms? The trouble with that would be it would create a, a very, very difficult situation in the relationship with America. Mm. And even though we hear all these things about the tension between China and America, and it's, and it's quite amazing how much American diplomats sort of openly talk about, you know, they're seeing China as a threat to some degree, and they sort of... Nonetheless, the Chinese, everything China has said until now in relation to the diplomatic relationship with America is they want to keep that relationship good. Uh, America's made very clear that supply to arms to Russia is unacceptable. Until now, the Chinese have basically gone along with that. Uh, so up until now, it seems that there is a an understanding, as it were. Kiri, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That's Kiri Paramore there, Professor of Asian Studies at UCC. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.